All right, so now we're going to begin our 13-week study through the book of 2 John. Yeah, I know. It's 13 verses. We'll be done. We'll be done today. So here we go. You can go ahead and be turning to 2 John. In my Bible, it is one-third of a page. So if you're not, if you're not on something digital, good luck finding it. Um, but it's there. Go ahead and be turning that direction. Um, it's been several weeks now, but a few weeks back, maybe even a couple months, I don't remember. Whenever the Will Graham thing was, uh, several of us went to the, their youth night. Um, not really to hear Will Graham, but because David Crowder was playing, and we really liked David Crowder. Um, and one of the things that I loved that he said, he stopped halfway through his set and said, you know what I love about the songs that we get to sing as the church? And this is, this is true of all the songs we just sang this morning and will continue to be true of all the songs we sing the rest of the way. He said, I love that all of the things that we're singing are true. Every single one of these things that we're saying is true. And that's exciting. Like, it's not like we're singing made-up stuff. This isn't, this isn't fantasy. This isn't a fairy tale. This is, we're singing about true things. When we're singing about who Jesus was and what Jesus did. It's true. It's real. And we can, we can, be, we can be confident in that. We can, we can love that idea that the things that we're singing are actual. Uh, and, and I love the way, so he said, all right, so now let's sing another true song. And then he finished that and he's like, let's sing another true song. Right? And I loved that idea. And, and, and that idea of truth is one that um, is often lost in our culture in that, that we don't like some truth, so we, we, we say that it's not truth, it's opinion. Um, and so we're going to talk a lot about truth today because that's what John talks a lot about in his second letter, which really is kind of a follow-up letter to the church. It is a follow-up to 1 John. He's going to reference back to a lot of things that he's been teaching about throughout the last letter that he wrote. But he's going to kind of mention that and then kind of double down on this idea that, that truth is something that we should, we should love. Truth is something that we should fight for. And truth is something that's going to, to empower us to move. Those are kind of our big thoughts today. So, so keep in mind this idea of truth. And I don't know how often you have conversations about the idea of truth. Probably not too often. Um, because you just, it's like, it's like truth or false. Like true, false. Like it seems so straightforward. But, but I don't know how many classes I had when I was at ETSU, or maybe you've had conversations throughout your, your college career or your work career where, where there's a, a philosophical discussion about how you can't say things so concretely it's not right and it's offensive or whatever that may be. We're going to talk about truth today, and we're going to talk about how there is truth and how it really is a thing, and it is concrete, and it is 100%, and we can be confident in it. Um, and and we're going to talk about how it is that we come to, to know and love the truth. So, if you are in 2 John, we're going to start, I'm going to just start by reading verses 1 through 3, just his introduction. It says, The elder to the elect lady and her children, that's you guys, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever, grace and mercy and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son in truth and in love. Okay, so the first thing that I want us to look at this morning is that we must love the truth. The truth and love are intimately connected. They are, they are uh, one of the things that I read said they are 
two tracks on the same railroad. Like they go together. They don't separate. Like truth and love are, are tied closely together. To know the truth is to know the love of God because God is both perfectly at the same time. God is, God is love and God is truth. So if you are going to know the truth, the o- and, and we're, I'm, I'm skipping ahead, but the only way you're going to know the truth is to know the love of God. And the only way that you're going to know the love of God is if He loves you, if He reveals the truth to you. The love of God is a very real thing. And, and I mean, I, I, I stopped and made a point when he called, called the church the elect lady and her children, because that's kind of a, we don't, we don't call each other that all, all, all that often. Where are you going today? I'm going to go hang out with the elect lady and her children. Like, like that's, that's not really the way we talk. Um, maybe we should. Christ reconciled elect lady and her children. It's in beta. It's okay. We're just testing it out right now. It's okay. Uh, but I think... I think there, there's, a, there's a reason behind the way he says it. Like, instead of just saying, hey, write to the church here, he says, the elect lady and her children. These are very, like, personal kinds of names. Like, it sounds like very individual, like he's writing to a specific group of people with specific believers that make up that church. And he talks about how God loves that specific church and those specific people. And while John might have been writing this letter to a specific location, he might have said, I want it to go to the church in this city that meets at this time so that they can hear these words because there's some specific things I want to say to them. This is still a word that is beneficial and helpful for us today. So when we hear that level of specificity, as, as, as John is calling out the church and saying, God loves you guys. God brought you together. God sought you together. God loves you all. When he says, grace and peace be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son, he is making a very intentional personal statement. So when we say things like God loves you, it's not just this big kind of ambiguous statement. When, when God loves someone, when God saves someone, when God reveals the truth or reveals his love to someone, he is thinking of them specifically. And I think this can get lost on us sometimes. We can just kind of feel lost and forgotten in kind of the context of the church. I, I go to this church and I'm just one of the people. But you're not just one of the people when you are saved. When you are saved, that means that God, like I, like I, like I prayed just a few minutes ago, God was thinking of this specific moment that we would all be here from eternity past. Like, like he, he's been thinking about this one and, he'll be thinking, and he's already thinking about next week. He's already got that one figured out too and the one that follows. But when he saves you, that's him thinking of you specifically, you an individual, you one person who he's adding to his family. Yes, you become a part of this bigger piece, this bigger, this bigger entity that he's building, his church. But, but within that thing, when he says the elect lady and her children, he's talking about like the church, but I'm talking about all the individual little people. Like, like God is thinking of you when he saves you. You personally are not forgotten. You are not just thrown into this big mass to be kind of churned up and lose all of your identity. You are one of God's children, and he loves you specifically like one of his children when he saves you. So God not only loves the church corporately, he loves the idea of the church, he loves the idea of this family, 
but he loves the members of the body of Christ individually. And so here's what I was saying. To know the truth, because John's tying these two ideas together, to know the truth is to know the love that God demonstrates for you specifically. If you, want, if, you, if, if you understand the love of God for you specifically and the love of God for this family that he's building, that's the truth. That's what's real. That's what's reality. That's what is concrete. And God truly loves each person that he has saved on an individual level. These two ideas work hand in hand because we couldn't know the truth in the first place were it not for the love of God. If God had not decided, I love them, I want them to know me, we would not know that he existed. We would not understand what it is that he is and how it is that he exists and and all of the different parts of his character, all of those things that when, and it's it's been months now, when we were talking through, you know, what we as a church believe, we were talking through the theology of God, this is just fresh on my mind because I was going back through that sermon in the last couple of weeks. But, but there's, I was just looking, that is a, there's a deep list of things that, that are true about who God is. And we would not know those things if it were not first that he loved us and wanted us to know those things about him. So, so we can't know the truth unless we have known the love of God. These two things are tied so closely together. The lo- and, 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 here, and here's the next point. This is going to kind of start to transition us. The love of God gives us a love for the truth. So because because God loves us and he shows us who he is and how the world works and all of the and all that kind of comes with how creation and and our sin and salvation all of that works as he as he kind of as he kind of reveals all of that to us in love he is also at the same time giving us a passion for knowing him a love for the truth so so the love that that shows us the truth fills us with a love for the truth. And we have to be a people that love the truth. And I keep saying the truth a lot. What I want, I, I, I mean, there is, there's probably another sermon that we could preach on the idea of honesty. I'm not talking about just telling the truth. I'm talking about loving reality, like loving what is true. I'm talking about loving what God has revealed about himself and about how the world works the truth about Jesus, the gospel. We have to understand the truth that he's presenting to us in this book. Like, we we have to love all of the truth that he has given to us. And we love that truth because, because he first loved us. And when we understand his love, it fills us with a desire to know everything that he said about himself, which is why it's so important that we love this book and we be in this book, and we know this book, and we make everything that this book says true of us. And, and in our culture, there continues to be kind of this temptation to kind of set truth aside because, because some truths make some people uncomfortable. Well, you're saying that that means that I'm evil, or you're saying that means that I'm not good enough, or you're, I don't like that. That's not, that's not truth. That's, that's opinion, or that's, or that's hate, or that's whatever label we want to put on it, that means we can take whatever truth this book says, this this standard, if we want to say, and set it aside so it makes us more comfortable. 
And that's still a temptation even within the church. To, and, and we've talked about this over the last couple of weeks. There's this temptation to take what is true and either try to present it in such a way that makes it a little bit less rough around the edges for people who don't know the truth, or to take the pieces out that make the people most uncomfortable. But in that point, are we actually presenting the truth? If we're changing what this book says, if we're changing how God has presented himself, we're not presenting the truth anymore, which honestly means we're not really loving people anymore. Because if we actually love the people that we want to know who God is, and we want people to know what the gospel is. We have to present them the truth. I keep coming back in my mind to that line from, is it a few good men? What is it you want? I want the truth. You can't handle the truth. It's more like if you don't know who God is, you can't know the truth. So to demand the truth would mean that you are demanding to realize how broken and in need of salvation you are. And most people don't want to hear that, so we offer them some different version that makes them feel more comfortable and warm and fuzzy and safe. But that's not the truth. And so what we're actually doing is not very loving because we're leaving them with this great chasm between them and God that they can't hope to fix on their own apart from the truth. I think it's worth, and I think at this point it's worth saying, and I said this again at, at the beginning, truth is an actual thing, like objectively. Like, sure, there are lots of things that we don't know about things. Like, how many meteorites and asteroids have hit the moon? Who knows the exact number? Seven wrong. I can objectively say that's wrong. Here's the thing. Even if we don't know, even if none of us in this room know exactly how many times has the earth spun, exactly how many times has insert thing, we don't know. But there is one answer that is true. Does this make sense? Like, like, I'm not, gonna, I'm not teaching a research class, but, but like when you're doing research, like there is a true answer. You may not be able to find it vi via whatever method you're trying, right? But in the end, ultimately, there is one right answer. You could, you, we could differ on 20 different theological ideas. It could be that I'm like, I, I, am, a, I am a really firm young earth guy. And you could be like, I think God created it, but I think he, got, he could have let it live for a long time. We could differentiate on lots of those things. But you know what? One of them's true. Just because we can't, we can't know the exact answer doesn't negate the idea that truth is a thing. Right? There is an objective reality. There is something that is true. And, and, and all of this for all of this, there is one answer that makes sense. And we may not always understand what it is. We may not always be able to see the big picture. But there is something that is true. And we have to love the truth as it has been revealed to us. And the best way that we can understand that is through this book. It's through the way that God has revealed himself. Because more than anything, if we have a good understanding of who he is, we don't worry about not knowing all the answers to everything else because we realize just how small we are 
And then we're just super grateful that he loves us enough to think of us specifically and welcome us in and use us as a part of his plan. All right, so that's the intro. We have to love the truth. Go ahead and look back in 2 John. I'm going to read verses 4 through 6. I rejoiced greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing to you a new commandment, but the one that we have heard from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. We'll stop right there. The second point is that, that as we love the truth, the truth causes us to live rightly. I don't even know if that's grammatically correct, but that's how I typed it out. The truth causes us to live rightly. Like, we do the things we're supposed to do when we know and love the truth. If we love the standard of truth, which is the Word of God, if we love this book, if we know this book, if we study this book, and we love everything that's in it, our lives are going to look like a people who know and love and study this book. We're going to do the things that we're called to do. This, this is kind of where he starts to kind of remind us of the things that he taught in his last letter, right? Because what were the three big things that he kept saying over and over and over again to the church? I want you to obey the commands of God, I want you to stay away from sin, and I want you to love one another really well. Those were the three big ideas, and he comes right back to them again. And he's saying that, that our ability to follow through on, on accomplishing those three things is directly related to how much we love the truth, how much we love the Word of God, how much we love what it is that God has called us into. If, if we are all in on this book, our lives are going to look really, really different from every single, every single person in the world who would reject this book as their standard for truth. That's his point. As we love the truth, we start to live the way God wants us to live. This book is what reveals to us the standards by which we are called to live. We should, be, we should obey, we should remain holy, and we should love one another well. And, and here's the thing. You know, I said I know that this kind of comes from the last month and a half, two months of things that we've been saying. And you're like, I get it. I've heard it now. I've heard this. We get it. You don't have to continue to harp on this idea of obey the commands of God, be holy, and love each other well. We've heard you say it, really. If I just agree that I'll do those things, will you stop saying them over and over and over again, right? But, and, but John even, like, acknowledges that, right? He says, I know this isn't anything new. I know I'm saying the same things over and over and over again. But that's the point. This is, this is an old commandment. This is something that you've heard forever. I'm just reminding you of what that commandment is. It hasn't, it hasn't stopped. It hasn't changed. And this contradicts probably, and we're going to kind of get into some of the false teachers that are kind of rising up around them, the temptations of these false teachers who aren't taking just the, the old version, the old commandment, the, the, the thing that doesn't seem new. And they're saying, we've got this new thing we want to add on top of it. We've got this, this new shiny little truth nugget for you that we want to make sure you really love. We've got something for you here that's a little bit different. Maybe you haven't heard this before. And all throughout history, people have been taking this book and saying, this book's good, but we're going to add something else to it. We've got another thing. I've got another thing. 
I got another piece of truth. I got another, I got another, oh, look, uh, this word could be interpreted differently, so I have a new way to, to teach. And that, that kind of undermines, well, half this book, so we can really just kind of get rid of this first half, and we'll just kind of go with this new half, because I've got this new interpretation of what the Bible is actually saying. And we always have this, this infatuation with, we need something, we need something new, right? This is, this is what we do um, this is what we market to all the time. You have this game system. It's great. You know what we're going to do? We're going to make it again. We're going to put a, a, a one or an X or an exclamation point on it. And you know what games we're going to release on it? The same ones, but now they're in 4K. And that's amazing because of the resolution and the refresh rate and the frame rate. No drop frames now. But it's new and you need it, right? And we're like, well, they said I need it. I must need it. I'll get it. I have to have it. Because we're infatuated with this idea of something new. And what John is reminding the people is, you don't need anything new. You just need the old stuff. About a week ago, we went and bought an NES Classic. That's all you need. You need, you need the original Super Mario Brothers 3. It's the greatest game in history. You don't need all the graphics. You don't need 3D. You just need the little feather that makes Mario able to fly up to the top and get the one up. That's it. That's all you need. The Bible is the NES classic. The Bible is not an Xbox. That's really good, guys. You're shaking your head. Because you've got an Xbox. And you feel guilty about having an Xbox. And you're ashamed that your poor big brother only has an NES classic. But that means he's more spiritual than you. I'm sorry. I, let's bring it back. Let's bring it back. Let's bring it back. We do this with so many things. I picked on games. But we do this with music, right? Only the new music. Only the new songs. We don't like the old stuff anymore, Right? You know what song kept popping into my head this week while I was preparing this? Victory in Jesus. You know why? Because what's the first line of victory in Jesus? Who knows it? I heard an old, old story. Right? Like, it's just this idea that we don't need all the new stuff. Sure, the new stuff is fine. Sure, having a nice drum room and having good sound or having different lights are fine. They're great. It's good. But we don't, we don't need those things. We don't, we don't have to have those things to become more spiritual. We don't need to replace the book. The book is good enough. The truth that's in the book is all we need, and it's what's going to cause us to live differently. We need to fight the temptation to pile on all the new just to make people like it. Because, what, again, what did I say before? As, as, we, as we replace the old with the new as we try to come up with new ways to say things, we're, what are we doing? We're changing what is the truth. We're presenting a different version of truth, which isn't truth, because there's only one truth. And if we change it, then we're not presenting the truth. And if we're not presenting the truth, then we're really not loving people. Because to love people is to show them what the real way is, and that's what's in this book. Let's keep going. Verse 7. Here's why he's reminding them of all the old stuff. Verse 7, for many deceivers have gone out into the world, 
those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh, such a one is a deceiver and the Antichrist. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Okay. So when warning against false teachers here... So... In all of these things, there's probably a very specific cultural reference that John is actually speaking to. And around the time that John is writing this letter, there's this thing called Gnosticism, which is kind of growing in that region. And it's this extra teaching that that the flesh is always evil and only the spiritual is good. We're afraid of the flesh. We love the spiritual. So Jesus couldn't have actually come in the flesh because that would make him evil because the flesh is evil. Our goal is to become only spiritual. And so they start changing the, the way they teach who Jesus is and how he came. Maybe he just kind of appeared as a man, but he was obviously still a spirit because if he was actually a man, that would be bad, so we can't have that. And so they started teaching these things, and then they had to modify, the obviously, the death and resurrection story because you can't kill spirits. So he appeared to die, but the resurrection wasn't really a thing because Jesus was never really a man. And this is why I go back to this idea of having solid theology about who Jesus is, about the gospel, about about everything that this book gives us is so vital because once we start to to change on that, we're believing a a whole new thing, a whole new reality, which isn't true, which isn't a thing, which isn't real. And so, yes, he is probably speaking to that sort of thing. But again, like I just said, that is still a thing that we face today where people are modifying or changing their telling of the gospel to make it more palatable for some people, to make people who are spiritual but not Christian feel more comfortable, or to make people who who reject the idea of the miraculous okay with the idea of a guy who loved people and taught a lot of wise things. Right? They're willing to change those things just to make people more comfortable, and that's, that's not actually helpful. It wasn't only modification of theology of Jesus or the gospel. This was, this was like an attack on everything that, that the love of God had given to us when he presented us the truth of who he is. It undermines everything. It's not, it's not, just, it's not just a cultural modification to, to make things easier and more palatable. It is an all-out assault on everything that we are as believers. And, we, and, he's, and, and, the way, and the words that he uses to describe this really do make it feel that way. It feels like the stakes are very high when we are confronted with this sort of false teaching. And he gives specific advice for how to deal with false teaching. First, he says, don't be swayed by any variant on the truth. And that includes additions, subtractions, or any sort of strange theological math you want to use. Like, if somebody says, all right, gospel's good, Bible's good, got an extra book for you to read here too, go with that one too. They're both good. Don't do that. If anybody says, all right, Jesus, good. Paul, fine. Old Testament stuff, laws about, about leprosy, it's all bad. You don't need any of that anymore. Just, just 
Tear it out. You don't need it. You know what? That part where it says, that part where it says you're evil, that's not true. You're good. God just still died to make sure that you're good. You're a good person. So any of that stuff that calls you evil, you don't need that. Tear that part out. Cut it out. Cut out those verses you don't like, right? Not good. We don't do that. Every single verse in this book, in this book is true, and we love every single verse in this book. And this, every single verse in this book has something valuable. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for correction, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. I got it out of order. Ellie, Ellie would have caught me on that one. Like, like the whole thing is true. So don't accept anything other than this book 100%, no more, no less. Anything that's different, that comes to the second point. Don't treat those who would modify the truth as brothers and sisters. Don't encourage them. Don't pray, don't pray for blessing on their ministry. They're not on our team. He says that very specifically. Anybody who doesn't, who doesn't teach both the Father and the Son just as the Bible presents them, just as we know it to be true, if they change it at all, they're not on our team. The truth is not in them. What is it, what is it that he says specifically? If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give any part. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Oh, here it is. Verse 9. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. That is cut and dry. There is no ambiguity in that statement. They are against us even if things they say, words they use, parts of the Bible they pull from seem similar. If it's, not, it's, it's all or nothing. We're in on this book, or we are not in with this team. We are not a part of this family. Just as a side note, he says, don't welcome them into your house. I don't think what he means by that is have nothing to do with anybody who's not a believer. There's too much other scripture that says, if you're coming with somebody who's not a believer, like, love them and share the gospel with them. What he's saying is, don't treat them like a friend that you would like any other brother who comes from another church out of town visiting. Hey, come in. Tell me about all your ministry. Oh, that's great. Hey, can I pray for you? Can I, make sure, can I, can I give you some supplies to kind of help you go as you, as, you go as you move on with your ministry? He's saying, don't do that. You know, evangelize them. Tell them you know, speak the truth to them. Tell them, tell them where their theology is wrong. Tell them where, they're, tell them where you can't shake on per- portions of what Scripture says. It's not saying to not have anything to do with them, but I think the idea is don't, don't treat them like the kind of family that you would the rest of the body of Christ. Because all you're doing is you're kind of saying, I'm in this with you. We're on the same team. We're all good. We're, we're friends in this. And, and you're kind of encouraging their bad theology. And, and if you're doing this around a group of other people, you might be confusing and dragging other people into their false teaching as well. So we have to be prepared. We have to be prepared to respond, which means we have to know what the book says so that when somebody comes with something that's not from the book, we're ready to say, oh, wait, that doesn't jive with the way God put it. We have to be prepared, which means we have to know the word, which means we have to be in the word, which means we have to love the word. 
Let's just go ahead and read this last part. Verse 12. Though I have much to write you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. And I love that he throws out in the very end, and again, this is such a short book with just a couple of little thoughts about the ways that we should live as the church. But it ends with kind of like, you know, I took his greeting and I made it very personal. Like he was talking about people individually. Like this is, this is a message for each and every one of you, not just this kind of big group of people without individual identity within it. But at the same time, as he closes it out, he kind of gives this beautiful picture of the big picture body of Christ as he closes it out, right? I hope to come see you face to face so that our joy may be complete. Like, we're not together. We're not, we're not in the same location right now. But, but when we think of ourselves as being one and being together and being around one another, when I get to see you, that's when my joy is complete. It's this wonderful picture of community. Like, I love being with you guys. And then he says, the children of your elect sister greet you. Kind of closing with that same metaphor that he's using at the beginning. He's like, we're all, we all love you. We're all here for one another. And it's this wonderful picture of the global church is still one big body. And we're just a little piece in that big thing. But I think we can sometimes get, I don't know, maybe a little bit overly sensitive, overly focused on just us or just our little pocket of Christianity right here. And we forget that we're a part of something bigger. And we don't feel the joy when our brothers and sisters are seeing something amazing happen in their lives that aren't here. Or we don't feel the pain that our brothers and sisters are feeling when they're experiencing some sort of evil and they're not here. We're too focused on ourselves. And I think it's cool that he reminds us, hey, there's another church over here too. They love you just as much as I do. That's a cool idea. That's a big thought because that means that that we should feel that same way about other bodies of believers in different places and different pockets all around the world. And we should be concerned for. We should be praying for. We should be joyful to hear about their good things. We should be broken and sad for them when there's evil that's happening in their, in their hometown, whatever it may be. Like, like we should be all in and committed to the body of Christ in a big way. And our joy is complete when we're around one another. I think, I don't want to overlook that idea because, I mean, one of the things that, that I still think is really cool and unique about what we have here at CRC is just the way that we try to teach and model community and how unique it is in the American church to think, no, 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 we really want to be around each other all the time. And we really, really do mean if you don't show up for a, for a week, you probably will have somebody asking where you were because we notice you're gone, because we care about you and because we love you and because we want to know you know, what's going on in your life. And we're, we're concerned when we see something different. And we're going to notice when we see something different because we know you so well. Because, because, like he said, our joy is complete when we're together. Because when we're together, we're able to, we're able to share the love of Christ together. We're able to talk about the things that he's been doing in our lives. We're able to talk about, oh man, you know, he's talking about all this truth that's here. Well, you know, I was just reading this the other day. And it was so true of the situation that I was in. And we're able to encourage each other in what the Word says and reinforce that this is true and build each other up and all these things. And, and 
All of these things that John's talking about. You know, loving the truth. Knowing that, loving the truth so well that it changes the way we live and act and speak. And fighting to keep our, to keep our truth pure, right? Guarding ourselves against attempts to kind of undermine the truth. All of that works so much better when we're doing it together and not trying to do it on our own, sitting on a little island, fighting as hard as we can. So that's it. That's, that's 13 verses. Love, love this book. Like, if there's anything else, if, if, if there's an action point to take home, it's live like you love this book and live like you love the truth that's in it and get as much of it into you as you possibly can. Let's pray.